We're recording on a Monday, June fifteenth. Yeah, I, think I know it's the fifteenth it because it's payday today. I did not know that. Yeah, so it's payday. I'm I'm looking forward to get paid, getting paid for my job. Uh-huh. But to celebrate payday, we have our <laughs> next guest, Caitlin, on. Um, fellow first year seminarian. Yes. We just finished our first year. Well, you did. I did not. You I haven't finished it yet. You have like a couple papers left? Yeah, those those papers sometimes they take a little bit longer. Okay, well, okay. I just finished and you, I'm usually one of the last ones to finish. So <laughs> thanks for making me feel better. You know, that's what I was trying to do. I was just looking out for my fellow seminarians, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So you did your undergrad here as well at Seattle Pacific University? I did. Yep. I got my BA in psychology. Okay, but you didn't start at SPU. No, I did not. I transferred here um, two years ago. For yourself, was that something you had to adjust to as well, transferring to SPU during your undergrad? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, I remember conversations that I'd have with my best friends back in Colorado and my family, um, particularly my mom and my sisters, um, just about how different it was how suddenly getting coffee didn't mean actually getting coffee. <laughs> it meant just, I want to hang out with you. Let's do something. Sometimes that would mean like going and getting lunch or going to a movie. So yeah, it's just a figure just, of speech. Let's get coffee. Yeah. And sometimes it does not include coffee. Sometimes it doesn't include coffee. I was That's shocked. Terrible. What a tease. It was, it was, yes. For a coffee addict like myself, it is. Um, one of the things that... At least for me, being your friend, Caitlin, have, has been affirmed in and kind of challenged myself is this uh, feminist theology. Yes. And for myself, who, who's come from a pretty traditional background. Yeah. Hawaii's pretty traditional. And, you know, the Hawaiians listening out there. Yeah, I said what I said. It's pretty traditional. Yeah. Um, just because we vote Obama does not mean we're not conservative. <laughs> um, and coming from an Asian American household. Yeah and community with my home church being a Korean church. A lot of traditional values, a lot of uh, gender role specific uh, norms. Yes. And yeah, you know what? Moving to Seattle, I would have never pigeonholed myself as being sexist or not woman affirming. But being here, I realized there is a lot of growth that I still need to go through. Yeah. And you know, just want to affirm you, Caitlin, you've been one of those people that kind of been patient with myself and like, okay, you know, days trying and I really respect that. But that hasn't always been your theology, right? Uh, I mean, not clearly defined as being, you know, calling myself a feminist. Um, yeah, I didn't, it's not that I didn't grow up affirming that women were equal. Um, but I didn't necessarily see it as something that needed to be said or that there were, um, that there was actually inequality in the world or even in my context. Um, so yeah, it's not really something I grew up with as part of my theology. Okay. So would you say you grew up in a pretty conservative home? I grew up in a very conservative home. Okay. Yes. Uh Very sheltered. Shelter. Very. It's funny that you yes. admit it because I think most people who gr- grow up in a pretty sheltered environment 
won't acknowledge that or maybe not even see it themselves but you would say you grew up a pretty in a pretty sheltered environment yeah i i very sheltered okay so was your ch- uh, was your family church going what did that kind of shape your conservative nature yeah so i i grew up in the church i actually grew up in the seventh day adventist church okay um so very conservative my parents were really involved in the church in the life of the church really um so it was just always a part of growing up um so i i think uh that's the denomination everybody thinks they know about because it's been in uh some news which you know happened fairly long ago and i i get questions even today about um, from my youth or from people back home about the Seventh-day Adventist church and who are they? Are they a cult? Um, why do they worship on Saturdays? And even though you no longer attend the Seventh-day church, mm-hmm. you still would, uh, you still have family members who attend. Yes, I do. Do yeah. you get some of those comments like, hey, was, isn't that a cult? Um, To be honest, no, I don't. Mm-hmm. The first time that I came across something on that, was actually here at SPU in the library um, in the theology books. I was doing my wandering of the theology mm-hmm. rows when I was still an undergrad, and I came across these books, and they're all about the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and I opened one of them, and it was titled, Is SDA a Cult? Or something along those lines. A book straight addressing. There, There's <laughs> books out there, and it was it was shocking to me. What was the con- like? What was the point of the book to prove that it was a cult? I slammed the book shut. I don't okay. remember. I respect that. I got mad at the book. I really mm-hmm. wanted to throw it out, but then I decided that that was not a wise idea. So right. I did not. So someone who whose theology has changed because that's a pretty conservative uh, practice of Christianity. Yes. And someone who is fighting for a lot of uh, women rights here on campus and also in general in our in our nation. Even though those differences are prominent, you when you read things about, hey, SDA, cult, things like that, it really does upset you. Where does that, um, I mean, it may be obvious, but where does a lot of that anger or um, frustration come from? Because I grew up Adventist. Right. I've experienced growing up in that church and being around Christians who are Adventist, and it's not a cult. It's not. Um, I mean, yeah, there's probably branches that broke off that could be considered cults, but, um, by and large, the SDA church is not a cult. It's, I think one reason why people wonder that is because it is so different. Um, the way that I've learned to talk about it and to hold on to the parts of me that are still Adventist is to consider it a different culture that I have a culture that's not the dominant culture. And so I can be culturally Adventist. That's the way I was raised, but not be theologically Adventist. Some of the ways my home community back in Hawaii kind of view me now, I've been more outspoken on social justice issues on social Mm -hmm. media trying to pick my battles because I know the golden rule is not to argue on Facebook, <laughs> which I've broken it a couple times. And yeah, it was not pretty. But at the same time, since I'm so different from 
the tradition that I grew up in, I've been labeled as uh, extreme left leftist activist, yeah, liberal. Sometimes the word communist gets thrown in there, <laughs> 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 which is funny. I'm like, communist, okay, um, and and I see where it's coming from. Like I'm trying to like you know figure out why they're calling me those things, and because you know this whole idea of I think the rich are too rich and the poor are too poor. That makes me a communist. Okay, whatever. I mean, let's go back to history class a little bit. But <laughs> anyway, it's uh, right. Anything that we are not comfortable with that seems different to us. Yeah. Can um, we're so quick to jump to conclusions. Oh, it must be a cult. Oh, they're, they're really radical. I don't think they're Christian anymore. Yeah. Uh, recent news. Uh, one of my heroes, Tony Campolo kind of, release a statement i'm not going to get too much into it but when was this released i think i think last week so one of the top evangelical pastors in our country and there's a lot of great work um teams up with shane claiborne a lot and one of the best sermons i've heard came from his mouth and he recently made a statement saying i think it's time for the church to accept uh, openly gay and lesbian people oh wow and man the reaction the the backlash the conservative christian just going ham on tony campolo um i'm not i'm not trying to i'm not sitting here saying that everybody needs to buy into that theology but at the same time i can see how the public christianity people who differ from his um viewpoint kind of demonize him now and label him as a lost Christian, um, yeah. faded away. Maybe even words like cult has been thrown in there, this and that, pointing at the end times and stuff. And it's disheartening to me that we can't sit here with differences, you know, and yeah. not label anything as extreme. Um, and, you know, for yourself, Caitlin, now being in a different setting where it's yes. not as conservative, yeah, you can, you know, what are some of the things you appreciate with the way that um, you've been brought up well I think growing up Adventist um, I've spent my whole life being the one that's different I mean (laughs) I just want to know growing up in a totally different setting than you're in right now yeah what are some of the things you can look back yeah especially looking at um, your family context and the SDA context what are some of the things you can look back and appreciate even though you necessarily wouldn't ever attend that church again. Okay. Um, the way the Adventist church um, practices Sabbath, it's it's different. It's set apart as, you know, unique. And um, that's something that I appreciate. Yeah, I don't necessarily practice the Sabbath as Adventists do anymore um, in that exact way. But uh, I... I have an appreciation for it that not necessarily everybody does. I'd say one of the character qualities that has been instilled in me because at least I I attribute it to being Adventist um, is loyalty. The Adventist church is all about loyalty mm-hmm. and being faithful to, to the past and to the present and to your community. Um, that's definitely something that I still appreciate. Yeah. Right now, right in 2015, we have uh 
church members, and I'm sure it's gone through our heads as well that one disagreement or one sermon that we don't really like and we don't agree with, we're gone. We can leave. Yeah. I know churches still do membership now, but we get to choose. In 2015, it's all up to us. They better have multiple service times because <laughs> I can't wake up that early and I want to have my options. Uh, the pews better be uh, installed with three inches of cushion because, man, if Duh. it's if it's too hard, then I ain't sitting for more than 20 minutes. If that. Right. And the sermon better not be more than 18 minutes. Oh, definitely not. But you're saying in the SDA church, it's there is a there's a nature of loyalty that's installed there that yeah. the members do value. And I think it's missing in Christianity today. Yeah. I mean, I one example of, of loyalty, I, I actually am still a member of the Adventist church. I can't I can't break that final tie, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, there's can't do it i don't know there's there's loyalty there right even to something that i don't agree with on pretty much any doctrine i mean there there's other ones that differ at least do you feel like right now no matter how loyal you're going to continue being with the sda church which i admire greatly do you feel like the things that you stand up for, that you fight for, a lot of feminist, womanist theology, um, affirming of things like women in ministry, the two more practical things like the way women dress, etc. Do you feel like those, um, that mindset can be appreciated if you were to go back to an SDA church? I think I'd get a lot of pushback. I'd be considered pretty liberal I mean I already probably am um I don't know that I could ever go back Adventist without changing beliefs like how prominent were the gender roles because my setting growing up we um we believed in women in ministry Okay. We believe like they existed. <laughs> they weren't like fairy tales. Uh, we Wait, women in ministry aren't fairy tales. <laughs> no, they exist somewhere. But we've we've had women pastors in the past. Yeah, to my knowledge, at least, maybe not a senior pastor level, which should speak for itself. But and I thought that was it. I th- I thought uh, my sisters at church, right? We called everybody brothers and sisters. My okay. sisters at church could have any job they wanted but the th- the gray area and where they drew the line was when when you have kids you know you you better know where your priorities land i'm not trying to speak out against um mothers out there at all yeah. but at the same time as a woman you had your priorities you had your obligations you had to follow as a female and those were the teachings that were installed in the youth yeah um I don't know that I grew up with things explicitly said of regarding gender roles. Um, but what was modeled to me was that the men preached and, well, women did all the behind-the-scenes things. So you could be in leadership as a woman. Yeah. Yeah, you could. You just wouldn't necessarily do the same things i mean it's actually still 
a big debate in the Adventist church right now, the global Adventist church, mm-hmm. um, of whether women can be ordained. Um, funny story. I actually, in high school, we had a female pastor. She was, it was her and her husband. They were, he was a senior pastor and she was the associate pastor. Right off, I can't remember ever actually hearing her preach. I'm sure she did at least a couple times, but I don't remember it. Wow. Uh, it just, it, that wasn't what she did. She did the other things like, I don't know, organizing the weddings and the funerals and the this and that. You mentioned that you felt like you were always the odd one in the, in the church. Yeah. Why do you say that? Uh, from a young age, I was the one that was always interested in going deeper. Okay. I was, I would question things. Questions are bad. According to the, uh, to the (laughs) higher ups. Yes. Questions, questions are scary at times. Right. They, they open you up to the unknown. That cliche, ignorance is bliss. I know everyone says it all the time, but I'm sure we both have that uh, feeling that sometimes I wish I was more ignorant. Oh, yes, definitely. But you challenge that from a young age. You challenge the church to kind of yeah. explain themselves on why they did the things they did. Yeah, like in high school, uh, we would have, uh, like, so it's called Sabbath school. It's like Sunday school, but it's on Sabbath. Okay. Um, we'd have youth group and we'd be doing a study on, I don't know, Revelation or that's a big one. We did that one a couple times, I believe. Oh. Or um, relationships. That was another big one too. And there'd be things in the teaching and I or the lesson, and I would, I'd want to go deeper. I'd be like, well, why? Why are we saying this? Like this, I don't necessarily agree with that. Give me a reason why I should affirm what this is saying. Is that where your your passion for a lot of the things you're passionate about today stem from? My experience definitely plays into it because of how I grew up, the things that I was taught. Right. I think no matter how much we deny it, our, our upbringing, our context, whatever our formative years were shaped by plays a factor in the things that we care about. Yeah. Oh yeah, it does. I mean, you can look at psychology research and it matters. It does. The, it, the way you were raised, the, the family that you are a part of and the things that you do, they, they matter. The relationships you build. Yeah. I'm at, you know, I'm always open to having conversations, especially with people who don't, see things eye to eye with me but the part that i'm losing patience in very quickly is when someone wants to debate something with me and they have no relationship with the person they're trying to put in a box for example i'm fine debating the homosexual homosexuality issue yeah we can do it but if you don't know anyone that falls under that umbrella yeah of lgbtq it's uh i really my patience level is not that high because we're dehumanizing them Yeah. by just talking about a certain subgroup as an object. 
you know, if you don't know any person of color and you want to make regulations against people of color, uh, I have a, I have very little grace for people like that. Yeah. Same thing with homeless people. It's like, well, every homeless man wants to just buy beer. And if they're a homeless lady, then they're being a bad mother. So I don't want to help them. I'm like, mm, how many people have you talked to that are homeless? Like, have you heard their story? Yeah. I'm in the same way. You know, I, I mentioned this, I think, in a previous podcast episode. But, you know, and I also mentioned it in the beginning of our conversation. I'm not fully there yet with... uh with a feminist theology, womanist theology. Yeah. And I want to be there, but I also understand that my uh, my ceiling for knowledge is going to be limited because my experience won't be there the same way a female's experience would be there. Yeah. Um, and you, uh, I'm asking you, Caitlin, for some advice. Like, how can I keep pursuing and gaining knowledge and having people be patient with me um someone like me who grew up in a very traditional background what is something you can share with me that can you know encourage me because there are times where i feel like i'm hitting brick walls that i'm like you know what i'm almost ready to check out because this is hard this is hard stuff to wrestle with because i have no idea how they feel yeah um i think first off just acknowledge that it's hard it's it's gotta wrestle with it it's not going to be easy um just just like anything that's worth it's worth the hard work that goes in um i think recognizing that it's a it's it's gonna take time but also how much time will this take like how how long should i give myself to get a lot of these uh so a quick story i i got tricked into teaching um sexual ed as well as uh i don't know (laughs) whatever you can think of that falls under sex ed i got tricked into teaching the fourth to sixth graders at my church was not was not happy about it but i i went ahead and did it because i said yes and one of the questions that i had to ask them which i didn't even know fell under the umbrella of sex ed was do you feel like women and men are equal today and a sweet fifth grade girl answered the question first and she said no i don't i don't think it's fair i don't think the the wages that we get paid and on are fair totally yet in america and i was like oh okay yeah and then um her answer got followed up by a fifth grade guy's answer and he said well isn't it fair you can vote now and i kind of chuckled a little bit but i wanted to be respectful and so I let the conversation continue yeah. and I asked, I asked the guy, do you, do you think that's, you know, just because they can vote that every, that's a magic wand that everything is really equal now. Um, I mean, just because there are no segregated bathrooms anymore, does that mean racism's over? So we kind of carried that conversation as, uh, as much as I felt like I, I could to yeah. a group of fourth to sixth graders, a lot smarter than I anticipated. Yeah. But in the same way, these are, the ways that we're being brought up, you yeah. know, in the church and outside of the church, a lot of the same teachings that, you know, a lot of vocal activists are just clanging symbols or just noise because it's really different from before. Um, but someone like myself and the youth that I've been working with, we're trying to wonder, 
is this conversation going anywhere? Is there more, is there room for growth? I know there's room for growth, but is there hope for growth? Yeah, there's always hope. Practically, just find something small. Something small like for every seminary class that you take, make sure that that you have a female author. Or and if that's not in the in the syllabus, find one. Say something about it. Get get those voices in in your context. Maybe for someone who's not in seminary, maybe that looks like reading a blog post about experiences. Um, I think spoken word is really good at being able to give a space to help experience someone else's experience. I mean, I think with issues of feminism and even um, reconciliation, you have to have empathy. You have to recognize that, that the other person is human and that they are made in the image of God. And go from that place. Start there and then figure out where to go from there. Do you have, as we wrap up, do you have maybe your top three books you would recommend? I know, I know. You I'm, did not I, warn me about that question. I mean, I'm curious. It's a real top question that just came books. to my mind. I want to know. I want to read. I have the summer now. Yeah. Um. Or a book, any book. Yeah, yeah. Um. Right off, I would say Sarah Bessie. Uh, she has a book called Jesus Feminist. Uh, Hal and I actually just finished reading that. You can ask Hal about that one too, if you want. That was cute. Couple couple book club. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Jesus Feminist. Jesus Feminist. That's a that's a really good entry book. So if you if you're not really sure what the whole conversation is about, it's a really good book to start with. Cool. I'd recommend that one. Um, hmm, Rachel Held Evans is always good. She's really uh, <laughs> hip now, right, to read? She is. She is. Um, th- that doesn't mean that she's necessarily, you know, not worth reading. Right, right. But, I mean, I she's, mean she's hip she, for a reason. Yeah. she's She has things to say that need to be said. I actually heard her speak here at SPO. She came and spoke at um, The Gather. Last book. Oh, gosh. Because I can't... Uh, can't read too much you know i gotta enjoy the sunshine oh, but oh, uh-huh. i need something to take yeah. to green lake and okay well how about this instead of a book a website okay the junior project um they have a lot of different blog posts and resources um regarding fem- feminism and egalitarianism um they're they're a really good resource so they have book recommendations too. These um these movements are needed because yeah. women are still oppressed in our country and globally mm-hmm. in different ways. Um and we can with our American privilege, we can just say that uh our situation isn't as bad as the women in the Middle East or in Southeast Asia, et cetera. And so why are we complaining? But you know, I, I believe at least personally, they all relate to one another. Um, mm-hmm. These issues of oppression mm-hmm. um, in regards today um, involving gender. And they look like different hills that we're battling on. But at the end of the day, it's still the fight that we're called to fight. And mm-hmm. you're fighting that hill. You're fighting that battle. 
on your specific hill and i appreciate that and i think we need more voices like that i'm gonna look at the syllabus next year in my classes and see like hey how diverse are our authors what perspective are we getting and can we you know challenge our institution our academy to continue to push the envelope to include more voices in the conversation yeah thanks for having me it was, it was fun Thank you for listening to the Dead Sea Podcast with your host, Daishik Kim. <laughs>